Good morning, Gator Nation, and welcome to episode 24 of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. Yes, we are exactly Matt Jones episodes into this wonderful podcast, and I just want to wish everybody a happy early Thanksgiving. Normally, around this time of year, we're preparing to play arch-rival FSU, but there's nothing normal about this year. In this most abnormal year, among many other things, I'm thankful that we do at least have some football to watch. We were certainly not sure we'd have football even just three months ago. So again, uh, on the behalf of everybody on the pod, uh, we're incredibly thankful for that. We've got a special guest today that we're going to bring on shortly to preview the game that we do have scheduled for Thanksgiving weekend, and that is against none other than the Kentucky Wildcats. But we've got a few things to take care of before we get there. First things first, I'm your host, Dustin Smith, that you can find me on Twitter at IAKOWDustin. And as always, we've got an all kinds of weather creator and founder, Neil Schulman, with us. And you can follow him at all kinds weather on Twitter. And as usual, we've got contributor Casey Hampton on board today. And you can follow him at CHampton85. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. How's your week going? Neil? Great, man. Um, honestly, I'm just grateful that you used Matt Jones as the guy to anoint as number 24 as opposed to Mark Thompson, because I thought that was where you were going to go with it. As soon as you said, <laughs> yes, we are. And I thought, okay, he's going to say we are Mark Thompson episodes in. And I was like, oh, no, don't. Please don't do that. Uh, but no, you went you went with the better, more established Gator. So that's that's one of the many things I'm thankful for this time of year. So Thank you for that, Dustin. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm good. I'm I'm hanging in there, ready for as nice of a Thanksgiving as I think is possible to have in 2020. But yeah, grateful for all the things that I do have. Um, Casey, how about you, man? How you doing? Doing well. Doing well. Ready for ready for Thanksgiving. Do you want to answer a little bit more pod friendly manner? Neil, I'm doing great. How are you? Excellent. That's just great. It makes my day. We got to be thankful for stuff this time of year, man. You got to, oh. you're acting like the Grinch. I know different holiday, but you're ugh, grumpy. Get, get, getting a, getting a frowny Casey. Um, Neil, I'm just so grateful for your friendship and understanding and empathy. See, that's better. That's exactly the type of Southern charm that drew me to you as a friend in the first place. <laughs> Dustin, you good, dude? Dustin's got the giggles. It's a, it's a thing we have to deal with every pod. He breaks into a, an uncontrollable giggle fit every now and then. You good, man? Weirdo. Dustin is a man child. Here, 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 watch this. What? <laughs> so I just did the Kyle Trask gesture, we'll call it, where he puts two fingers to his mouth uh. and uh, wiggles his tongue in the spring game of 2016. And there he goes. He's off and running, cackling like a man child. <laughs> That's all it took. Oh, man. So while Dustin composes himself, let me tell you all about our sponsors. So, so as usual, we're proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, the nonprofit organization that works to send an underprivileged Gator fan to the swamp. We've been reduced to a virtual campaign in 2020, and we are about to pick a candidate to provide that virtual experience to this year. So 
Stay tuned for that. In the meantime, be sure to follow our social handles at the Gator Good on Twitter, at Gator Good Foundation on Instagram, and the Gator Good Foundation on Facebook. Second, we are proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting into your marketing and will deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, so Dustin's still laughing. <laughs> graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are two great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. One, it's a veteran-owned business. There is no better way, in my opinion, to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving them your business. And two, it's run by a Florida Gator fan. So not only do they do great work, but they do great work and they're owned by a Florida Gator fan who happens to be a U.S. veteran. To learn more about their services and rates, go to stingraybranding.com. That is stingraybranding.com. So as Dustin wipes the tears from his eyes because he's been laughing that hard, um, Dustin, you good? You ready to ready ready to make a show here? I, I love that Neil and I are being profane, and Dustin's like, "I'm gonna pray about it. I'm gonna pray about this later." That's right. <laughs> Just being a good well, Christian. That's, uh, well, uh, that's all you can do. Well, Casey, I do want to say that I'm 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 thankful for you, and uh, regardless of how how you feel, um, I just want you to know that from from uh, the bottom of my heart, I'm thankful that you decided to come on today because. Uh, you could have decided not to be on today, and uh, that would not be as good as you being on today. So, um, you know, sit back, relax, enjoy. Uh, and I'm saying that to to our listening audience. I know that obviously the hosts that are on right now aren't gonna, or the ho- host is me. I keep on forgetting that, but we're not gonna sit back and relax. We're gonna dive in. We got a cool guest coming up. I'm the wife, sound like a schoolgirl. Oh my gosh, we got a cool guest coming up. Anyway. In the spirit of Thanksgiving, we're going to start off our show with something a little different. This is a time of year for us to be grateful for the things we do have, and it's especially critical to do so in the year that has been filled with turmoil and all sorts of not-so-good things. It's always good to find the bright side of the coin, as they say. I know, I know that's kind of hard for a pessimistic Neil to do. Get me down um, here, yeah, Debbie Downer Schulman. Um, but we're gonna do it. So this is uh something that I really wanted to do, and so we're gonna we're gonna force Neil to kinda be positive for a few minutes. Um when it was my idea to come up with this segment in the first place, you're gonna force me to do it? Okay. I see. Exactly. I see. Gotcha. We're we're gonna force you to do what you set out to do in the first place. Cool. About that. So what we're going to do is we're going to go around and we're going to give one Florida-related thing that we're thankful for, or I should say one Florida Gator thing, because I'm, I'm sure we're all thankful for this wonderful state. I know Neil absolutely wishes he lived in the Sunshine State. I do. Where, I do. Where he didn't have to shovel snow half the year, it seems. Just a third um, of it. Third? Okay. Okay. Well, oh, yeah. You're not in – you're not in uh, – Minnesota, no, you're no, in no. New, Jersey. New Jersey gets snow like three or four months a year. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Not too bad. <laughs> yeah. Nice hyperbole there. I like that. Anyway, so we're going to give one Florida Gator thing we're thankful for. And then we're also going to give one real life. Yes, absolutely, guys. We have a life outside of Gator football. Who would have thought? We're going to give one real life thing 
and let's say uh, non-sports, and for the sake of everybody's sanity, uh, let's also keep it non-political. Um, and Casey, you'll go first. You know, I'm thankful for, I'm going to go a little out of the box uh, with Florida. I'm very thankful that we have a second reincarnation of this podcast. Um, I really have enjoyed um, getting to know you, Dustin, and I've enjoyed keeping you online because that's a second full-time job uh, that I have in addition to my day job. Um, but non-Florida related, I am very thankful that I have had three COVID tests that were negative and I have isolated uh, for the whole duration of that. So I get to go see my family this week and I get to see my dad for the second time in 2020. And if you follow my Facebook or my Twitter, you know how close I am to my dad. So I am very, very excited to see him on Wednesday. Yeah, very nice. Um, how about you, Neil? Yeah, so I'm, I mean, I'll, it, it, it may sound cheesy, but I am very truly thankful to be healthy and safe in 2020 because 2020 has not been a great year for many people. And I mean, I'm definitely included in that statement. I mean, I, I, I went to the Orange Bowl last year, last December 30th hung out with the Houstons at their house in Fort Lauderdale, met up with Casey. That was fun. Saw Florida beat Virginia. Great. Celebrated New Year's in Miami. Great trip. Great time. Ever since my plane touched down at Newark airport, pretty much everything that could possibly have gone wrong did go wrong. We still have a month left of this year. So no, oh. no, no. Excellent. Thanks for, thanks for reminding me on that. Um, no. But seriously, cause we've, we've all been in this sort of, global timeout since last winter and it's given me time to think about just it's given me time to just think about some of the basic things that i have that i don't take time to acknowledge very often i mean i'm healthy i have a loving family i have i have great friends i have great parents who raised me well i have a roof over my head i don't have to spend every waking moment worrying about food or money and you know that's not necessarily the case for a lot of good people in 2020 through no fault of their own so if this Hiroshima of a year has taught us anything, it's that we should all be very grateful for the things that maybe we take for granted or maybe we see as rights instead of privileges. However, that may apply to you as a listener. Just, I encourage you to take a step back and think about some things that you have that maybe you haven't appreciated as much as you should have. So that's what I'm thankful for. Just my two cents there. Um, as for Florida, Along that same line, I am thankful for Brian Johnson. Enjoy him while you got him, Gator fans, because this guy is a rising star in the coaching ranks. We've already seen rumors, granted nothing confirmed, but we've already seen smoke about him going to South Carolina. He's just 33, and I'll bet anything he's a head coach at the Power 5 level before he's 40. Now, Dan Mullen is known as the QB whisperer. He has that long track record of developing quarterbacks that we've been puffing our chests about since he came here, including Alex Smith, Tim Tebow, Dak Prescott. He did work a little bit with Cam Newton, so maybe if you want to throw that in there, you can. Um, and so Mullen deserves a lot of credit because he does do a lot of the work there in terms of developing guys like Kyle Trask or Emory Jones. But hey, every, every hero needs a sidekick, and Johnson is Mullen's right-hand man. And – I mean, look, will him leaving result in our offense free-falling like LSU with Joe Brady? No. But I do think coaching continuity is something that's been really vital to Mullen's success all these years as a head coach. And 
So for all the aggravation that Todd Grantham causes this fan base, let's be that appreciative and that grateful for Brian Johnson and appreciate him while he's here. I just have to say I'm thankful for life. I know in a, in a, in a time where there's a lot we don't have, there's a lot of uh, obviously turmoil, as, as, was, as was mentioned earlier. Um, I'm just thankful to be alive. I'm thankful to live in this great country. I mean, uh, you look you look back um, just a week ago, a, a Category 4 hurricane hit Nicaragua and uh, Honduras and El Salvador, and there's people that no longer have homes. Um, and, uh, you know, my thoughts and prayers are with the people in, in those countries. Um, and, in fact, uh, I don't talk a l- I don't talk too much about it, but I'll, I'll take this – this holiday is an opportunity to talk about a little bit of, about what I do uh, for my day job. Um, I serve a, uh, a nonprofit organization, and part of what we do is uh, do humanitarian outreach in uh, Central American countries and uh, give food and, and necessities to um, people that don't have anything, especially the, the children in these countries that don't have anything. Uh, we bring new, uh, brand new toys, uh, along with the food that I mentioned uh, just a few seconds ago, and I think that's a big deal. I think it's important to be thankful for what you do have because there's so many people out there that don't have what we have, and uh, it's important to step to kind of sit back and think about that. From a Gator standpoint, I'm going to be a little more positive, and I'm going to try not to cry. Uh, I thought it would be said earlier, and I'm going to go ahead and say it. I'm very thankful for Kyle Trask. He is exactly the quarterback uh, that he may not be the exact quarterback that the Florida Gators want in this offense right now. Obviously, we, we would, and Dan Mullen probably would love to see a reincarnation of Tim Tebow, a quarterback that not only can throw the ball effectively and run the offense and has all the intangibles, but can also he can also make every play. Uh, but Kyle Trask is certainly the quarterback that the Gators needed in this offense. And he, not only is he leading the team well, uh, but he's playing very intelligently. And because of his intelligence and work ethic and ability to run this offense um, in just a few short months, um, well, less than that, uh, about six weeks, we'll probably find him as the Heisman Trophy winner. And for that, I'm incredibly thankful. I mean, I'm incredibly thankful for Kyle Trask. And I do have to say, I am sending my thoughts and prayers out to my boss at work, uh, who is a friend of this podcast, um, who today was diagnosed with COVID-19. So uh, sending thoughts and prayers out to him um, for a quick and speedy recovery. Yeah, well, soon, Clarence. Oh, man, Casey. Well, thank you for for sharing that. We'll definitely be keeping... Uh, him in our in our thoughts and prayers, and as he uh, as he fights COVID nineteen and recovers from it, um, we'll, we'll believe for that for sure. Well, it's time for our guest. You may remember him from co-hosting a good friend of this podcast, Gators Breakdown, with our good friend Dave Waters in two thousand seven or twenty eighteen. And you also may remember him from his time as a contributing writer from readandreaction.com. Or in my case, you may remember him from hosting a National Recruiting Day party here in Atlanta in December of 2018. Or you just may remember him from being a super active member of Gator Twitter 
for a few years until he retired from Twitter to focus on more pressing matters in his life. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got the great Bill Sykes, the recruiting analytics guru himself, straight out of retirement, though I don't think putting Bill out of pasture is, is probably the nicest thing to say. Uh, but he's on our show today, Bill. Uh, happy early Thanksgiving. Thanks for coming on, man. Hey, no problem. I actually, first of all, um, I'm very happy to be in the pasture. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know about the great Bill Sykes, man. I'm just a regular guy and just doing what I can. And I, I still have a, you know, a toe in the water. Uh, but it just things are much better for me now, just kind of scaling back and taking a more reserved role to the whole Gator football thing. Uh, but I am still doing some writing and things and, and uh, that we'll talk about tonight. But uh, hey, man, we're, I'm doing great, and I really appreciate you guys having me on. We are so lucky to have you in our fan base, man. Yeah. And uh, we're lucky to have you on tonight. So happy early Thanksgiving. Um, f- first and foremost, are you and the family healthy, safe, yeah, we actually had COVID back in June, and uh, none of us had it. Uh, we didn't get the respiratory stuff, and so we came through it okay. And uh, it was not fun. It was really weird, uh, probably the weirdest thing I've ever had. Um, but we're good, you know, and celebrated Thanksgiving today uh, just because I work kind of a weird schedule and uh, have to work Thursday. So kind of, you know, knocked it out and had a great day. And so now I get to talk football at the end of the day. Hey, that's, 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 uh, that's what we're here for, man. It's great to have you on, dude. I think, I think you and Casey – actually used to live very close to each other back when he lived in Jacksonville and y'all just never knew it. Uh, where are you living these days? Oh, cool, man. Yes. I live just south of there. Thanks. Dustin, Neil, how's it going? Going oh, good. Well, man. I, I think this is, is this the first time we've ever talked face to face? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Good to, uh, good to virtually meet you. Yeah. You too, man. Well, Hey, I was going to say that, Bill Sykes is the most high IQ Gator fan I've ever met. Um, but that's debatable because the memory that Neil has is insane. He, he, he can remember every intricacy to almost every play that has ever been played by a Florida Gator football team since he's been watching Gator football. Neil truly is the rain so, of Florida Gator football. He really it is. is. Casey, give me a give me a game and a score from like two thousand and eight on or so. I mean, no, no. What was nineteen ninety six? The Florida Auburn. Uh, that was fifty one ten. What? I was two Rain and man. a half years old then. Like I've watched the game a few times over, but I, I can't remember every single play from that game. Like I can games that I've been, you know, cognizant of at the time when they were being played live. What yeah. what was the score in the 2013 uh, Florida Kentucky game? 24-7. Then their only touchdown came on a fake field goal where they uh, the holder took the snap and just flipped it kind of like um, LSU in 2010, kind of like the um, the fake field goal where they beat us. Except it wasn't a bounce pass; it was straight in the air, right to the kicker, ran it in the corner of the end zone for the touchdown. See what I mean, Bill? That is impressive, man. And I make no no claims about having a high IQ, and I think you got a higher IQ than I do. You're, you're Mr. Well, Math. <laughs> well, you're the you're the five star nerd apparently. So we'll we'll uh we'll star nerd. That. I like that. I like that nickname, <laughs> Bill Sykes, five star nerd. I I think I've seen that before, but I'm gonna claim that on on this podcast. I've never right seen now. somebody so in tune with recruiting than Bill. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's a compliment or no, 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 no. It is because I I I just don't have the bandwidth for it. Yeah, <laughs> but you are like. Well, you used to try. You used to try, and then and then you've you've always told me that the Dalvin Cook recruitment killed it. 
Mm-hmm. And the Dalvin Cook and Irma. Yeah, Dalvin Cook, I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. I, I, I don't care about it. We're done. Yeah. Because yeah, I remember you used to be big into it, but that sort of garroted any remaining interest you had in it. Yeah. That well, guy can go stub his toe for all I care. When Bill and I met, this uh, opportunity I have right now with being on this pod was only a dream. I wasn't sure how it would come, but um, I know I know we uh, we mentioned earlier um, how, about what we're thankful for. Um, I'm thankful to be a part of this. Yeah, man, we're thankful to have you on. And I speak for Casey when I say that. We are definitely thankful to have you on. And Bill, we're thankful to have you on too. And uh, Casey, I believe you have the first real question of the night. So let her rip. So usually when we have a guest on, we start our discussion with the lightning round, uh, which is a quick series of questions that we ask our guests uh, to let our listeners get to know you a little bit better. Uh, Though our listeners may have an idea of who you are, uh, we understand uh, that you've got something special that you're working on uh, and we want our listeners to hear about it. And I know I'm really curious to hear about it. So usually I do the lightning round, but uh, we're going to throw it to Dustin today. So Dustin, take it away. Yeah, Casey, you, you got the chance to introduce our guest, and uh, I think I think it's fitting that I that I take your your uh, usual lightning round duties and and uh, do the thing that you usually do. Hey, welcome so, to 2020, man. Yeah. So, Bill, uh, I know again we're we're super happy to have you on, and um, we want to get right to it. My first question for you is this: There's this project that you've been working on that you've been uh, hard at work in the in the uh, the the inner dungeon, if you will, um, studying away. Tell us about what your project is all about. Well, you know, I've always been a guy that likes to make the discussion better, the fan discussion. That is, I like to add facts to the discussion, so you can kind of dispel rumors, you can kind of challenge common assertions, you can uh, you can add evidence to things that fans have claimed, you know, it puts it to the test when you hold things to the fire of facts. And for a long time, you know, I've kind of uh, ruffled feathers with some of my takes on recruiting and star rankings and things like that. And I decided to look at things a new way. And instead of looking predictively through recruiting rankings, which are are subjective uh, in a sense, and they are, um, they project what a player might become. I decided to look backwards at what players have proven to be. And so what I did is I pulled 10 years worth of all SEC football team data. That'd be the Associated Press, postseason, all SEC teams, the first and second teams for 10 years. Uh, That's 549 player profiles. And I looked at each one of these, these player profiles based on dozens of different statistical metrics. And I wanted to really dig in and say, what can we learn about what it takes uh, to be an all SEC player? What can we learn about what it takes to build an SEC champion football team from this information? And so as I'm researching this and as I'm digging deeper and deeper and deeper, I'm writing a six part article series that's going to kind of give you every side of this, this equation. And um, I started out with part one, which identifies a championship template. Like what have the recent champions of the conference done through their all SEC talent, their elite player core? What does it take to win the title? What positions? How many do you need? How many first teamers? How many on offense? How many on defense? What positions don't matter so much? Those kind of things. Part two, which just released, says, where do you find these players? What regions? What states? What cities? High schools? 
what positions are produced in Florida, which ones aren't, where does Dan Mullen need to look to find the players he needs to follow the template, which was established in part one. Part three, which we'll release this week, goes into what about the timing? Which ones of these guys redshirt? How many do you need to get in one class? Which ones are going to develop faster, slower? Which ones are going to leave for the NFL? How do you balance all these things in order to field this championship team at just that right time to win it all? Um, in part four, we're going to go into who's the real DBU, but we're going to do that for every position. And we're going to look at the NFL data, the all-SEC data, all those things. Part five, we'll get into recruiting, which could be a little bit controversial. And uh, part six is going to look at the, the all-SEC resume of Dan Mullen. We're going to take a deep dive there. And then the whole thing is going to be for charity and trying to raise money for uh, First Coast Women's Services here in Jacksonville, which I'd like to talk a little more about later. That's awesome. So is there anything that surprised you from parts one or two? Yes. Uh, part one, the, the big surprise there was how prevalent offensive linemen were uh, on SEC champion football teams. I mean, we, we think about teams being constructed in different ways and, you know, maybe this team has more of this player, this team has more of this player, and, and that's true in a lot of ways. But when it comes to offensive line, each one of the last 10 SEC champions had at least one elite all-SEC offensive lineman, and they averaged over two. And so when you look at the math and you say, well, there's starting five on this team, there's a starting five on this team, and do that for 10 champions in a row, that's 50 offensive linemen, well – 42% of those were all SEC offensive linemen. So the lesson there is that if you don't have some, at least one, preferably two, and in several cases there were three all SEC offensive linemen, you're probably not going to win the championship unless something changes. And um, I got to throw this in there. Is there a lineman on Florida's offensive line that you think could be an all SEC player? That's a good question. And it's one that remains to be seen. It's one that I don't think we have full answers for yet. I think we know which ones aren't, <laughs> you know, without, without bashing. I think we, we see the right side of that line is a little bit troublesome. Um, but I think you could see a guy, Heggy. You know, we, we often talk about how offensive linemen that don't get talked about are probably doing a good job. Well, the media or – I mean, we, these guys might be on the, on the tape impressing more than we as fans – take for granted. You know, maybe Garage, I mean, he certainly pops off the screen with his athletic ability at times, especially when you compare to the guys on the right side of the line. He's another one. And, and then Forsyth. Forsyth has been very good. I think he's only allowed one or two sacks. I mean, it's and, – and, and these guys are getting a lot of help from Trask, to be sure. I don't think that they are a, a great offensive line by any stretch of the imagination at this point. Uh, but I think you could certainly could see one, maybe two of these guys come out of nowhere. And, and I think – Look, there's obviously certain influences to this data. I'm not suggesting that there, there, aren't, um, there isn't some bias towards championship teams and themselves. So maybe it does end up, if they pull a win over Bama, maybe these guys, maybe these guys make the grade. That's good to note. So what positions are more important to winning championships and which ones are less important? As far as more, the more important, one of those, of course, is offensive line. And the other one that really popped uh, off the page for me was you got to usually have either an all-SEC quarterback or running back. And teams without one of the two aren't typically teams that win championships. I think there was only one team in the entire decade that did it without the two, and I think that was 2011 LSU 
which was loaded on defense, loaded everywhere else, and they just kind of eked out wins and kind of snuck one. Uh, but otherwise, you, you need that elite passer. You need that uh, – or at least elite quarterback. I don't want to say passer. Uh, you need elite point guard at the position, or you need an elite running back. Do you think Florida has any elite running backs or skill players on the team? Uh, well, as far as skill players, absolutely. Well, Aside from Kyle Pitts, the obvious. Yeah. <laughs> hmm, that's a good question. You think maybe Trayvon Grimes? I don't think Grimes is an elite wide receiver. I don't. I, I just, I mean, I've seen a lot of 50-50 balls go the wrong way and, and some drop passes. He just, I think he's very good. Um, I think he starts for a lot of teams in the country, a lot of teams in the SEC. I just don't, but I don't know if I'm, I'm putting him up there. He's not Bubba Caldwell. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's, um, but I, I, don't, I don't think they have that yet. I think X Henderson is one that could prove to be down the road. I, I want to see what Shorter continues to develop into. I mean, he's a guy that there were reports that maybe he wasn't, um, it wasn't putting in the work or maybe he was overweight at Penn state, but the guy is starting to flash some five-star ability at times uh, in the Florida offense. Right now, I think he's more of a niche player that you look at his arc as maybe somebody that, that uh, develops into a Cornelius Ingram type guy, but maybe his ceiling is higher. Maybe he is elite. but right now, I mean, even when you look at, um, at Tony, the guy dominates at times and disappears at times. Um, he certainly made strides. I think he probably got uh, some money to be made in the NFL for him. He's a very good wide receiver. He has a lot of elite moments. But I think right now, if you look at that and say, what's happening with this offense? It's Kyle Trask. I think he's making this offensive line look uh, probably at above, average to above average offensive line look very good at times. And I think he's looking at the skill positions around him outside of pits look excellent when they're probably mostly just good. And I've got to ask a opinion question of you Okay. that I know there are some people, particularly with UGA Twitter that mm-hmm. get out there and say, you know, stars are the only thing that matter. You know, Kirby gets stars and Kirby can recruit. What do you think the balance needs to be between somebody like Kirby that can get the five stars and doesn't quite develop the five stars or the five stars leave Athens Versus somebody like Dan Mullen that can turn a Kyle Trask, a two-star, I believe, um, into an elite quarterback. What do you think that line is between that, between those two? Uh, that's a that's a big question. But I think first of all, no matter how many recruits you get, no, no if you get eight consecutive number one classes, do you guys believe that Alabama? Uh, wins five national championships or whatever it is they've had if they have Jim McElwain and Will Muschamp as their coach with those recruits? No. Because I don't. No. I think maybe they sneak one. I mean, there, there's a level of dominant play from players that, it, you know, we, we see that from um, um, Gene Chizik at Auburn in 2010. Wasn't he the guy that was with Cam there? Sure. Yeah. You put a Cam Newton in Will Muschamp's hand, he probably wins you <laughs> – the conference and and the national championship. Jack Driscoll as, won him eleven games in twenty twenty. Right, as long as long as Kurt Roper's not there, maybe he can get it done. <laughs> but, but no, I, you've got to have both. You've got to have both. And you need a great coach with great talent. And but the thing is, the flip side of that is that when you look all the way back uh, to the early nineties, no team has won the SEC without either a top five recruiting class as rated by the composite now, 
I go by the composite back to 2002. Prior to that, I go with the records we have from 93 to uh, 01, which were Tom Lemming and Alan Wallace Super Prep and uh, whatever the other one was. So just to clarify, you're talking about the 247 Sports Composite Rankings. 24-7 Sports right. Composite okay. Rankings. And that's right. an aggregator of all the, the major ranking services. Yep. Scout until they went away, Rivals, ESPN. It basically gotcha. gets everybody's opinion in there, formulates it into one, and says this is the kind of the overall where we're looking at what, what these guys think. And nobody's won the SEC without either a top-five class or a five-star quarterback, period. It just hasn't happened. That doesn't mean it can't, but it just hasn't happened. So what, what I think those teams are, are teams that there probably were some of the 2010 Auburn variety, but most of the time it's super talented teams with really good coaches too. You gotta have both. And we've had discussions. I mean, look at the 2014 Florida team. I mean, how many of those guys are starting in the NFL right now? Right. And I mean, they won seven, eight games that year. I mean, it was not, you know, not a, and their coach got fired. So you, you just look at the talent that you can recruit, but you need to have both. So that's why I wanted to ask that question to get your – Absolutely. Your These guys – a lot of people have kind of accused me of thinking, that oh, you just have to have players. And that is not my take at all. You've got to have great coaching. You know, I kind of equate it to – what was it Tim Tebow said that um, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard? Isn't that yep. what he said? I that's like it. to say it like this, that um, the coaching beats talent when talent's not coached. You know, but if coaching, if talent is coached, well, you're going to have a bad day. But this is kind of how it goes. For well, sure. but hey, even then, let me also say this. But even then, there's upsets. It doesn't guarantee you're going to win every single game. We're just talking about championships. Because even with lesser recruiting and good coaching, you can win 10, 11, 12 games. We've seen that a lot of times. So Dan Mullen has never really recruited at a championship level until he's just started to very recently. And he, I mean, he inherited a team that didn't have a lot of highly touted recruits in 2018. Yet he comes in, in 2018, Florida wins 10 games, wins the peach bowl, New Year's six bowl game, finishes top 10, both major polls, 2019 year two wins 11 games, orange bowl win, other New Year's six bowl. Now it's 2020. And now Mullen again has Florida pretty solidly on track to finish ranked in the top 10, but this is not more. Right. I was going to say, it, this time, that seems like the team's floor. Like, a, a top 10 finish seems like the least impressive bragging right that Florida fans could possibly have to use this offseason. Because they've got the East in sight. They're two wins away. And with the offense they've got, they'll never be out of a game. They'll have a chance to beat anybody they play. And that includes Alabama and Ohio State. Again, that's with good but not great recruiting. And in the meanwhile, Florida is now slowly but surely starting to recruit at a high level. They went to Jacksonville, beat Georgia for Marcus Burke. They went to Miami, beat the Canes out for Corey Collier, Jason Marshall. There's a ways to go, sure, but we're starting to make strides. So my question for you is, having seen what Gator football looks like under Mullen with mediocre to good recruiting and what he inherited from Jim McElwain, what exactly do you think Gator football could and will look like if he keeps it up at this pace? Do you think Florida could build an empire like Alabama has, or is there another ingredient that you think is still missing? I think that's too high a ceiling for anybody. Um, I just don't even think, I mean, I'm not, you know, and not to disrespect the question, I think it's a very fair question. I just, but when you say an empire like Alabama, I just think that's lightning in a bottle. Everything has to be right for a program, for a coach, for the recruiting environment, for the landscape of the conference and nationally. So I just I don't think you can ask that. I think the question is, can Dan Mullen be a guy that wins multiple championships or a championship at all? 
um, let's say a national championship, because I do think he can certainly win an SEC championship. And we've seen that of coaches that um, – yeah, let me also back this up. A lot of people, like, hate on Mark Richt, and uh, they, they use it as a derogatory term of comparison for what Mullen's floor is. Well, Mark Rick won two SEC championships early in his career in the first five years. And so I think the question is, can, can Mullen achieve a Mark Rick floor? Can that be the floor? Because wouldn't we all love to be hating on Dan Mullen and 10 for only win, winning uh, in 10 years for winning only two SEC championships? I mean, that's certainly better than what we've been through the last 10 years. Um, so to me, that's the question. Can that become his floor with a possible national championship ceiling? I think, yes. If things continue to improve and he hits on a Dak Prescott-like quarterback, um, certainly things in this weird year could play out that way. Um, but I, I just think that's kind of separate from his recruiting. I mean, most of his guys aren't even on the field. I mean, most of the guys we're seeing as far as high school recruits uh, are McElwain guys. And I think a lot of that is due to Kyle Trask. They, I mean, they've just really found one there sitting on the bench of the high school field, you know. And um, it's certainly a good team. It's certainly a team with top ten talent, uh, I think. Uh, part of that has come through the transfer portal, which could be an offset to that recruiting. And that's something I'd like to talk about as we go further into the show about this part three of my, my article series is going to kind of address the timing issues of that. Um, but, yeah, I, yeah, I think they can win a championship, sure. But right now – um, unless, unless they get some help uh, from in the way of all SEC performances from these transfer portal guys, it would be uh, a history-making event. Let's put it that way. So, Bill, you mentioned part three of your uh, series that you're working on. That's coming out this week, right? Yes, it is. I've got one more paragraph to write. I had, <laughs> I had something to come up for work that I had to kind of table it for the weekend. But, um, Great. yeah, I'm going to put the finishing touches on that, I think, tomorrow and send it over to Will Miles and get it pumped out on Read and Reaction. And uh, I'm pretty excited about this one. I, I think people are going to enjoy reading about this, um, about these timing issues of um, how to assemble a champion. Um, and one of the, the main takeaways uh, that I walked away from from this is that we have to start looking at these transfer portal guys um, based on the recruiting class they were in when they left high school. Because all of these players and different positions have, uh, they have different development timelines. To give you an example of this, an offensive lineman, if he's going to make all SEC, all SEC, it's going to probably be in year four or five. About half of the, uh, the seniors that made all SEC at offensive line were redshirt freshmen. And 53% of the all-SEC awards in that position overall were foreseen. So it's four or five years for them. But for a running back, it's years two or three, which means these guys are going to play – they're going to peak two years apart. And so when you start thinking about the timeline of construction, constructing a champion and putting these key positions together, you typically need to get your offensive line first, and then the next year get your big wad. I call it a cluster class – of all SEC talent so that they peak and develop together at the same time. And when these transfers are coming in, remember, wow. it might be part of the 2020 class. Like let's say uh, Lorenzo Lingard, but that guy was class of 2018 originally. So we need to think of him in terms of if he's going to make it, it's probably going to be in 2021. So, Oh, I'm sorry. It would be actually 1920. Um, 
Only 12% of the All-SEC running back awards went to running backs. Those guys don't make All-SEC as seniors. So if we, if we can start to understand these things and we can start to look at the roster, look at these classes, we can kind of start to get a picture for, hey, when is this group going to emerge? What is this group shaping up to be? How high is their ceiling? And, um, yeah, I, I'm pretty excited about it. I think it's going to be insightful and give fans a new way to look at championship construction. Yeah, man, timing's everything. And I think having a better understanding of the timing of how how different uh, groups on the field um, come together to creating that championship team, uh, that's, that's incredibly insightful. So just to clarify, how can people find your work? Uh, most of my writing has been done on read reaction. I've written for rivals and a few other places, but I've got a great relationship with Will Miles, the co-host of the Gators breakdown. He's a great guy, uh, great website. Um, the, the tagline to his website is curiosity applied to college football. It's, it's topics like these to say, Hey, I want to understand the inner workings of this. And if, so if you go to readandreaction.com and look for my work, uh, you'll find them on there. Search for read and reaction, dual Sykes on Google and all my stuff's on there. Um, you know, uh, and I hope fans do check it out. I think they'll enjoy it. It's for a good cause. That's amazing. And so I understand that this specific project that you're working on is actually for charity. Um, first off, how can – I know that we can go on to Read and Reaction and check this out. How can we also support the charity that you're representing yeah, that's, thank you for asking that. And guys, I just want everybody to hear my heart on this. Um, I've, I've been blessed. Uh, you talk about what I'm thankful for. I've got so much more than I deserve this for. And I'm not, I'm not just a regular guy with a regular job. I'm not talking about like riches. But God's been good to me. I'm not a good guy. And, and I've got more than I, I need. And I just was like, you know what? If I'm going to do anything with Gator football, why well, put a lot of effort into it for a relatively small amount of cash that, somebody else could use more. And also I was thinking, you know, the people that pay me have a limited amount of, ref, of resources to pay for writers. But I was like, you know, the Gator Nation has something collectively that they can give to. And so I found a great charity um, called First Coast Women's Services. It's here in the Jacksonville area. And, and these people help young women, a lot of people that are in, in very low socioeconomic conditions and in impoverished conditions in many cases that have experienced unplanned pregnancies. And they come alongside these people uh, and these women, and I say people because it's not just the women, it's also the men in their lives. And they, they show love to them and say, and say, hey, we are here for you. We will help you tangibly. We will help you walk through this. They educate them. They give them opportunities and learn to earn programs where they can have uh, limited sonograms. They can have tangible goods like cribs and like basically essentially like a baby shower to kind of get them on their feet. They provide advocacy if they're in need of a place to stay. They'll work the phones and try to help these people. And they need money. It's a, it's a 501c. Uh, it's just a great organization. And I know a lot of people involved with the organization here in town. And so I'm donating all the proceeds that I'm making from the writing to this organization for the six article project. And I'm also calling on Gator fans. If Listen, if you, if you find yourself on this Thanksgiving uh, and you've got abundance in your life or you've got a few extra bucks, you know, and, and thing, COVID hasn't hit you hard. I mean, I'm not talking to you if you, it hasn't, but if you've got a few extra dollars, you could throw their way. Google search, GoFundMe, uh, Gators Helping Young Mothers. Again, Gators 
helping young mothers. Uh, and you'll see it. And you'll see it at the end of each article that I write for Will Miles this fall on this project. And uh, I would just appreciate if you can help us, can help us uh, raise some money. We've already reached our, our first goal of $1,200. That's the, the cost of, of funding uh, one young mother and her, her significant other's experience in this program to get everything they've got to them. Uh, but I would call on you, hey, if you got five bucks, 10, 20 bucks, whatever, some people will give them more, throw it in there. It's a great charity. Man, Bill, that's awesome. And as our, as our listeners know, we are very passionate here about helping people. Um, Neil has so eloquently conveyed through all of his social media platforms uh, what is going on with the Gator Good Foundation and certainly uh, what you have to offer, Bill, and, and, and this, uh, this charity that you brought up is, is certainly going to be helpful. So helping young mothers, uh, it's, you know, as a, as a young man who, who, who may be in a, in a more fortunate situation for whatever that, that might mean, um, whether it's my upbringing or uh, whatever, it's irrelevant because when we have an opportunity to help somebody who may not be in the situation that we're in and they're in need, they're in need it's important that we think beyond our situation and look at how we can help others. And uh, that's what we do with the Gator Good Foundation. And that's also what we have the opportunity to do with helping young mothers and the organization that you mentioned. And uh, we'll hit that one more time um, at the end of the podcast, just so that we get that, that recap of, of what you've spoken about and, and how we can support and uh, check out what you're doing. Um, without further ado, let's, uh, let's go to move on. Um, so Bill, we know you're big into recruiting and stars, uh, and looking at things like that. But as Neil mentioned, this Florida team doesn't really have any top rated players out of high school, aside from Trey Grimes and Gervin Dexter. So my question is what lowly rated recruit not named Kyle Trask has really stood out to you this year and played like a five-star? Well, I think, first of all, I think that's kind of a misstatement to say that, that Florida doesn't have the, the elite recruits. I mean, they're, they're a team that's seventh on the 24-7 sports team talent in, index nationally. They've got seventh best talent. Uh, they've got 44 – or excuse me, total, they've got 48 total players. That's over half the roster that is ranked four or five stars. So it, it, we're not talking about a team that's devoid of – of former elite recruits. And I think you, you, you do see some of these on the field. I mean, Brenton Cox, I believe, was a five-star. Justin Shorter was a five-star. Now, these are transfers. Now, when you come to the recruits, I mean, Kai Reelan was a, a top 100 player. And you've got, um, uh, of course, Pierce was a, a four-star. Bernie, a, a lot of these guys. You can go across. The, and Pitts was a, a, a mid, mid-level four-star. Um, I believe um, Grimes was at least a top 150 player. So I, it's not true to say that, they, they don't have the elites, uh, but that's also uh, – that doesn't invalidate your, your other question, though, that there are some, some lower-rated players that are, are making huge contribution. I think the, the elephant in the room one there is Kyle Trask, uh, and we can kind of dive into that, and I can give you some numbers on how staggering it is uh, for a player of his former rating uh, to be ha- enjoying the success that he is. I mean, he's the one off the top of my head. Um, as we, as we move forward in a few weeks when I get to – probably a month when I get to part five of my, uh, of my series, I'm going to go position by position to show where all SEC players typically rank 
as recruits, like which positions rank higher than others. Um, a lot of people tend to think offensive line went up lower. Um, unfortunately, we do still have some players that are playing down to their rating, I think, on the defense. Uh, and I'm not going to call those out. Um, I think everybody kind of knows who they are. Um, but, you know, it, for the most part, this is a, a blue-chip dominated lineup. I think I think what Casey was was trying to say was that Florida doesn't have a team that is comprised of number one recruiting class last year, number one recruiting class year before, number one recruiting class three years ago, number one recruiting class four years ago. They haven't been recruiting at the level of Ohio State or Alabama or Georgia, who, by the way, Ohio State is very thankful for your efforts, but they haven't been <laughs> – they haven't been recruiting at that elite level for the last five years. And I think what Casey was trying to say was that, I mean, he, he was trying to ask uh, who among those last four recruiting classes has played as though he is a number one recruit in the country, a number four recruit in the country, played at the level of someone say like a Ronald Powell was expected to be, but never played out to be. So, I mean, the obvious one's Kyle Trask, but aside from him, who on Florida that was a two or a three star do you think is playing closest to that championship five star consensus five star level? Uh, I think Tony has played above his head, but I, I I still wouldn't put him anywhere close to a five star. I mean, I would I would put this back on you guys. Other than Pitts, who was a, a fairly high ranked four star, especially for a tight end, um, who do you guys think is playing like a five star on that team besides Pitts? Uh, no, I'm, I'm sorry, between uh, Pitts and Trask. Is there one? Flashing or consistently? Hey, what so, about my boy Evan McPherson? Okay. Oh, <laughs> I mean, hey, he's the best kicker in America, so if that's exactly. the standard, he should be a five-star. I mean, Bill, we his, can agree on that, in right? Evan McPherson's, in Evan McPherson's defense, wasn't he the number one overall kicker coming out of high school? <laughs> I was going to say, we got the recruiting expert there. Oh, yeah. man. You know, you know what my secret is? Google. <laughs> Yeah, Google is Google. Yeah, is he was a number one kicker in America, and the overall just barely inside the top fifteen hundred <laughs> overall. But, but I mean, but that's kind of my point. We're having to kind of grasp at straws to come up with a name there, and so right. I just I don't think and I think that's the issue for me with Florida is I think that honestly, the defense doesn't look look as good as it should based on the recruiting. The offense looks better than it should. Uh, but they're getting some help. I mean, you were talking about five-star plays. That shorter leaping catch a couple weeks ago, that's a five-star play. That's when we, when we go, oh, my gosh, can you believe that throw-in catch? Trask made a five-star throw, shorter made a five-star catch. You know, and there's no defense against that. Uh, but that's what we need to see more of on this team, and I think that's what they're lacking, honestly, is that elite kind of talent. I would say the, the closest to it is probably Elon. I don't think he is like a five-star right now, but I think he's the well, closest thing we have to it. I mean, Elam was essentially a five-star. And he made a five-star decision to go to Florida instead of the Bermuda Triangle of five-star talent in Athens, Georgia. <laughs> hey, let's also back up real quick, too. When we say that yeah. person looks like a five-star, that's a really subjective thing. You know, I mean, are we talking about Tebow? Or is that really what we're expecting of these guys? You know, or Harvin? I mean, that I don't think five-star should be expected to be even though those guys do disproportionately end up that good, I just think the standard is, does this person look like an all-SEC player? That's what we want from three stars. That's what we want from five stars. The five stars do it more often. But I just think it's a little bit unfair if we start getting too uh, grandiose with our expectations of any of these guys. Fair. Fair. I think, I think Tebow and Harvin can be 
labeled as six stars. Like they're, or they're, eight, they're, 15, they're, whatever. Yeah. Okay, like the point is they're unicorns. They're not applicable. Like everyone, right. uh, like the second Florida got a commitment from Andre DeBose back in the day. Remember that? Everyone's like Percy Harvin 2.0. Second right. Florida got a commitment from John Brantley back in the day. Yeah, totally back, different quarterback. Back Here's the next Andre Tim Tebow broke all of Tebow's records. Back when Andre DeBose committed to Florida in 1998 and graduated in 2015. Yeah. <laughs> the longest <laughs> playing Florida Gator ever. Yeah, and you have to remember that they all have a high failure rate. We're, I mean, the, the, the all-SEC failure rate, it's 97% for three stars. It's like 89% for four stars. And it's still like 69% for five stars. I mean, most of these guys are not going to become elite, no matter how many stars they've got. It's just that the higher the star rating, the better chance they have. Unless they play for Kirby Smart. <laughs> but no, I wanted to ask you about the um, the reliability of the star system. I think that that's a debate that we have had before on Twitter. Um, and I think it's something that a lot of fans debate amongst themselves too. So the main, the real main quibble I've got with it is it doesn't account for someone like Kyle Trask who doesn't play in high school, who doesn't ever get the chance to show he's more than a two star. And it also kind of railroads guys like James Houston, who got tore his ACL in high school, lost a year, lost a year of tape, lost a year of camp and so on and so forth. I don't know that there's a way to make up for that. I think that there's gotta be some kind of nuance or some kind of disclaimer for the star system, but I'm wondering exactly how it should be, worded or presented to fans who maybe don't have the best knowledge of it or new fans who are trying to get themselves into the water, so to speak with this. So how, how would you tell me how, we, how you would label the disclaimer for the stars and, and how exactly it's not guaranteed and so on and so forth. I mean, it, I wouldn't put a disclaimer. I, I just put it and say the professionals that's that get paid to evaluate these prospects and the coaches that disproportionately offer the highest rated prospects seem to think these guys have more potential. It's not absolute, but over the, the big data set, it's going to play itself out in that way. I, I mean, there, of course, it's not, it's not meant to be um, absolute in every, in every player's case. But, I mean, like, when has that ever happened with Trask? Or a guy like Trask? I mean, when, when has that ever, ever happened? And if we're talking about one player, when you have a yearly crop of – I mean, what are we talking about? 3,500 recruits nationwide that get the star rankings, 4,000 now. Something and we're like talking that. about 18 years. So think about how many thousands and thousands and thousands. It's like, has there ever been a Trask? Is, and so if there has never been and, and it's going to be a one guy in 20 years, does that really necessitate a warning label? <laughs> I mean, I mean some Houston, fans. What about Baker Mayfield? He was, okay, let's, let's look well, at that. Well, that's a different argument altogether. Well, no, I mean, but it's a fair. He, he but he had he out. had he had several different Division One offers. Kyle Trask yeah, and, just had Florida and McNeese State. And Baker Mayfield was also rated over a thousand spots higher than Kyle Trask in the national rankings, and then got waxed by Georgia in the, in the Rose Bowl. He played in the Big Twelve. Yeah, I mean, he was a great quarterback and NFL talent, and um, but he was far higher than Trask. Yeah. Right. No, it's so that's exactly. It. I mean. I mean, Trask is a, a one of the million kind of player. But that's that's kind of my point. I mean, it's you know, sure, three stars are gonna they're gonna shine sometimes, and that's what makes I mean, it special. I mean, to give context, this is technically. I know we're we're talking about a lot of other things besides the game that we're gonna have this coming weekend, but we're 
but it's it's hard to look at a Kentucky preview without thinking about the context of this game. I mean, last year it was the Kentucky game that was Kyle Trask's big debut um, in in this offense. It was his welcoming yeah. to college football. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, Missouri. Missouri. Year before that, Missouri. The Kentucky game is when I met Dustin. We actually met in the stands at the game. Yeah, um, yeah. Which I don't want to talk about the actual game because <laughs> that didn't go well. But was uh, that was that cool. Too. And, um, and uh, yeah, that unfortunately, unfortunately, but yeah, it is. Uh, this is the year anniversary for him, man. The broken leg that uh, that put him to the forefront, and I, I don't know that would have ever happened. Who knows? Well, that's a dangerous topic that I think we're going to have to save for in depth in the off season. But I think at some point we're, and I'll, I'll just introduce it to you. At some point we're going to have to have a difficult discussion about how certain talented guys need the guys ahead of them to get hurt or sick with COVID to see the field like Kyle Trask or maybe a Jadon Hill, who knows what he could become or a Tyron Hopper, who knows what he could become. I don't know, but that's something that a lot of fans have, have mentioned, have tweeted about. Um, so, I mean, yeah, y'all, I'm cognizant of that. I, I do see the pattern. Um, Bill, I don't want to get too lost down this rabbit hole now, but I just wanted to get your very quick thoughts on that. I don't want anybody to get sick or hurt. That's my thoughts. Well, no, of course we don't <laughs> want that to happen, but I'm saying we, it, it seems as though the only way some guys will see the field is if that happens. Cause like you just said with Kyle Trask, if that broken angle doesn't happen, you know, I think the better question there is, why did it take that? Right. That's that's exactly what I'm asking. I, well, I mean, there have been some peculiar decisions on this team. I think we definitely see them on the defense right now. But, you know, this is something I mentioned to uh, some other colleagues on another show recently is that Mullen passed on Trask twice. He passed on him out of high school and he passed on him for, for uh, Felipe Franks. And I think that's partly a testament to, to what – uh, they saw in Franks. I mean, I think he was a frustration and, and not dissing the guy. He's having a great career. Who knows? Maybe he ends up in the NFL. Uh, but I think that they saw him as a potential elite quarterback at Florida and uh, more than one coach did. And, and they decided to roll the dice with him over the guy who didn't have the experience. But it is, it is peculiar that, that it took that for Trask to shine. But, hey, man, sometimes that's what it takes. Well, and he's also not a prototypical, prototypical Dan Mullen quarterback either. You know, he's not a dual threat quarterback. I mean, yeah, he can run, but – He's sort of like Felipe Franks. He looks like a giraffe when he's running down the field. So, um, but I want to segue into into where we are in the conference right now, and I want to ask you just a few quick hitting, sort of lightning roundish questions. What surprised you in the SEC so far this year, both good and bad? I think uh, the good is that we are not missing more games. I mean, hopefully that stays that way down the stretch. Hopefully the virus stays at bay. Um, I really thought we were going to see Florida not lose, but I mean, miss out on an, another game or two. And I hope it doesn't happen. Uh, so that's been a nice surprise that, you know, it's only been a few delays, especially when we heard about how many got sick and everything. But um, so that's been good. As far as the bad, uh, I mean, you've got to look at the lack of defense around the conference. It's been kind of weird, especially in Gainesville. And uh, I know that they've, they've made some incremental improvement. Uh, it definitely helped to get Kyrie Campbell back, one of their three defensive tackles or whatever they've got. Um, but it's been – to me, it's – I think it might still be a little bit paper tiger uh, when you look at who they're, who they're playing right now. And I worry what's going to happen when they get to, to Atlanta to face Alabama versus a, a Grantham Killer-type quarterback. 
because he doesn't seem to fare well against those who can actually complete a pass 10 yards beyond the line of scrimmage, you know. And so we'll see. That's been a disappointment. Well, real think- quick, real quick, define Grantham killer because that could be a lot of different things. If, when you look at the quarterbacks that can throw the ball, Grantham does not do well. That's, when you yeah. look at quarterbacks that cannot throw the ball very well, when you look at it, you feel the stats in Bennett, he's going to eat your lunch. I well, mean, and I, I, no I, offense I to Missouri's freshman who was talented and they've got kind of a dink and dunk attack. Uh, that's just not what really exposes him. Uh, well, and, and they're not going to face another one of those for a while. Anybody that plays with tempo either. You, you know, anybody that plays with tempo and especially a mobile quarterback. I mean, you look at last time Terry Wilson was in the swamp. I mean, the man ran wild. Um, yeah. So – who do you think uh, is both on the hot seat right now, but who do you think leads in SEC Coach of the Year type of type of talk? I, I, I look at it that Sam Pittman. I, I don't think there's anybody in the conference that's done a better job than Sam Pittman. But who do you think is on the hot seat, and who do you think deserves that SEC Coach of the Year honor? On the hot seat, I know – what we've seen with Muschamp, obviously, and what we've seen with uh, the Vanderbilt situation. And, um, I mean, Pruitt's got to have some warp coming. You know, I mean, it's they, – they haven't recruited great, uh, but he just is starting to look like another defensive guy who can't figure out the quarterback position and can't field a, a, a winning team that's um, really shown demonstrable progress towards Atlanta. Um, he'd be one that I – just, you know, not mentioning uh, – since Grant, we already know what's happening with uh, Muschamp and Vanderbilt. He'd be the other. Uh, as far as coach of the year, I agree with you about Pittman and about the turnaround and everything else uh, and what he's doing with what he's got. But, hey, I'm going Mullen there. The guy is continually uh, stepping forward at Florida and to, to field an offense and a player like Trask and to be uh, within reach of Atlanta. If he, if he wins in Atlanta, I don't see how you don't give it to him. Um, you know, it was interesting that you mentioned Pruitt. His press conferences have just gotten worse and worse and worse. You know, I think somebody asked him this week about, you know, his offense, and his answer was, well, we had more yards than Auburn. What? <laughs> I, and I just want a significant other someday to look at me the way that he looks at Jarrett Garantano and just with just this unbridled love that, I, that I'm just going to – he's Pruitt's ride or die. But transitioning, what are your thoughts on Kentucky this year? Have you watched them at all, or have you seen any of their games? Yeah, a little. And, you know, the main thought I have on them is I just think that they've probably done all they can do um, with what they've got at this point. I, I think um, – I don't know. I just don't think they're going to turn the corner. Are they really ever going to win 11 games again? I just – I don't see it. However, uh, I, and I just because it's more my wheelhouse, something that I haven't had a chance to talk about uh, on any shows, and I'm, I'm just glad you brought this up. Kentucky is probably one of the most underrated growth stories in the country when it comes to slow, steady growth as a college football program. Um, they continue to make good hires. They continue to very slowly and steadily improve their recruiting. Not that it's great, but it used to be like down in the, like close to 70 to 100, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, they continue to improve their facilities. They continue to bring in money. It's just a great story for college football as far as how to run a program from complete dumpster to like, hey, they're pretty decent. Um, I just, uh, as far as Stoops, though, I, what more is he going to really do? 
you know. But, but why would he ever leave Kentucky? I mean, the man is a guy. Go to FSU? Oh, wait, he didn't do that. No, he, he I know. I, I, was, I was trolling. Because, look, what your ceiling, your ceiling in Lexington is a lot lower than it is in Tallahassee. And the money is a lot better and the commitment's a lot better in Lexington. And you think of Kentucky as a basketball school, but they have a new practice, practice facility. They have a new. Right. That's what I'm hitting at. I mean, they, he, he's gotten them to buy in um, more than any coach at FSU has. I mean, read that expose on ESPN that um, Andrea Adelson wrote this week about how Jimbo, even after a national championship, couldn't get the FSU administration to buy in. Bill, I'm with you that. Mark's, what Mark Stoops has done in Lexington is nothing short of a sports-related football miracle. I mean, he yeah. took that program, got them to 11 wins, broke the Florida streak, broke the Tennessee streak in Knoxville, um, broke their uh, SEC winning records streak, finally having one, um, brought them to the Citrus Bowl. Won it. And won it. I, 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 I'm with you, Bill. I don't know what else he can do up there, but – why would you? Really I think I did misspeak. I think he only won ten games in 2018. Still, it's double-digit wins in Lexington. Right. I mean, that's we. I, I never thought I would see that in my lifetime. Yeah, I think he's a guy. If he can hang on through the rough years, if they don't get carried away, and he doesn't lose recruiting momentum there, and if he can continue to bring in a guy he can win with a quarterback, I think that you're right. I, where does he go from there? He's making almost five million dollars a year. I think. I don't think he's the kind of guy that Alabama's going to want at this point. I don't think he's the kind of guy that Florida would want. Uh, but he's a guy that could be maybe a 10-year coach there. And and uh, well, I guess, gosh, he's already been almost that now, man. I'm thinking 15 years. Um, could he go to Tennessee? I, I, I Who knows? I don't know that they could get him away from him. Yeah, I, I don't know that's, that's a wise move. That's a but, lateral move. I don't think so. Say. I, I, um, that, that man is as close as you can get to a football god in Lexington that yeah. he's brought them. I mean, what he did last year with Lynn Bowden, turning a wide receiver into a quarterback, a respectable quarterback that yeah. won games. I mean, yeah, I, I just, I think it's a fascinating story, success story up there. Yep. And I think he's great for the East. I think he's great for the league. And, and, and that's, I hope we see more of those stories go on in the conference, but you're right. As far as what they're doing this year, I, I don't, they're what are they, three and five now. I, I don't, I just don't put a whole lot of stock in it because they don't have their out-of-conference games. And this is an asterisk year. It's weird. Um, but if he can kind of just continue the momentum there, I think, gosh, he's been there eight years now. I think it could be a 12-, 15-year coach there. And that's tremendous, man. And, again, why would you leave? I mean, you've got a stable job where, you know, you look at somebody like Brent Venables, right, That at Clemson, the Clemson defensive coordinator. Every year he's tossed out that, you know, he's, he's in the mix for this and this and this. Why would you leave? Right. If if life is good there, even if you're a coordinator, why would you leave? Well, it depends on the job that opens. Yeah, you don't up. you don't unless major money comes in, right? So, um, you know, looking at the Kentucky game, Bill, what is what do you think is the difference between Florida and Kentucky? Al Trask and also a whole lot of other talented guys. I don't think they're in the same league, uh, talent wise. I'm not saying that Florida can't lose this game. I think that if Kyle, Kyle Trask, if he has an off day, or not even off day, he has to have a bad day, and they have to put him on his back. Now, the, the only thing I would say is that Kentucky plays in, at times pretty good defense. I, I, I don't even think I'd go that far this year um, like they normally do. But um, And, again, I'd really have to dive in further into the numbers to even make that claim. But uh, I just don't see it. 
I, I just don't see it. As long as his contrast comes to play and, and the rest of the team shows up, they're fine. I, I think what we saw against Vanderbilt is a, a, a bad day. Um, but then again, this is the kind of team that, kind of like you guys said earlier, that because of the offense, they can beat anybody. Well, if the defense reverts back to what we saw earlier in the year, which I don't think they will, and I don't necessarily think that um, Kentucky has the, the weapons to do that, uh, then that could be problematic. Uh, but I'd, I'd probably go – I think Trask leads them to a 40-plus point display, and I think Kentucky struggles to get 20. Yeah, could happen. Um, I, actually, I forgot to ask you something that I – now very much want to ask you even more than before. So um, we've talked stars. We know that you are the recruiting guru, as uh, Casey put it earlier. Um, and we've also said on this podcast that talent is not the issue with this defense. We can debate the precise star rankings, ratings, whatever. I think it's a consensus among Gator fans that the defense is talented. Gervon Dexter is talented. Kyer Elam is talented. Chris Bogle is talented. Ventral Miller, talented. Zach Carter, Diabate, so on, so on, so on. And yet the defense has not played especially well throughout the year. It's given up 410.6 yards per game, which is 66th in the country. And it's only because they played well against Missouri and Georgia before the last couple of weeks sort of fell back off. But only because of those two games are they that high. And it just gave up over 400 yards to a pretty bad Vanderbilt team. So I wanted to get your thoughts on the defense so far because everyone on social media and message boards have their thoughts. It's Grantham. It's the play calling. It's the players have to execute. We're not playing the right guys, whatever. Everyone's pointing fingers in some direction. Who, where do you point the finger? What do you think is to blame for the performances so far? Well, it's, it's multi-layered. I mean, obviously earlier in the year, they're, Recruiting got exposed a little bit at the defensive line when, when Campbell was out and he realized they had no defensive tackles on the roster, um, or only a few. Um, can't have Dexter in there. I don't care if I'm a star or not. That's a lot to ask of a, of a big man to step into the trenches in the SEC and, and play at a championship level in year one. Don't care who you are. Um, but that's not the main issue. I think the main issue is probably coaching and scheme. I mean, they, they look out of position. They look slow to line up. There's misplays. Uh, but at the same time, just got wide open wide receivers running down the field. I just don't know that they're being put in position on both the schematic level or the individual play level to make plays. It just doesn't, I just don't see it. And, I, and I'll be honest with you, I, I'm not the kind of X's and O's guy uh, that can, can break that down. I'm not going to put that kind of time into it. It's just not my wheelhouse. Uh, but I think all of us can kind of see that to some degree. And it, it's, but no, it's, there's no reason that any Vanderbilt offense should be winning a bunch of 50-50 balls and one-on-one matchups versus Florida's players. I don't care if there's the worst recruiting year. They don't have that kind of talent on that team. And I don't think that most of Florida's opponents should, should have that kind of talent. Florida really hasn't played uh, – they've only played like two teams that have anywhere near their talent. That was Texas A&M and Georgia. When you look at the kind of players they bring in. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, it's a, it's a multi-level problem, but I, I'm sorry. Grantham has to take – he has to take ownership of this. He has to take the fall. And if he doesn't, then Mullen will. That's, that's the way it goes. It's Usually crap rolls downhill, but in the coaching world, if it's not handled, it's going to roll uphill. Well, that leads me to a follow-up question. You said if Grantham doesn't handle it, Mullen will. But how confident are you that he will? Because 
I'm not so certain that he'll do anything because he has proven to be loyal to his coaching staff and to certain players who brought him success. Man, I, I think that's an interesting thing because I don't think that anything is done this year. And I, that might be depending on whether Grantham wants to move on. I don't, I don't know. I honestly don't, I don't know. I haven't heard. The last I heard was that the plan was to keep him, but that was weeks and weeks and weeks ago. Um, and a lot has transpired since. Um, but here's the thing. In the, in the last, since, let's put it this way, since Spurrier won his first SEC that was recognized in Gainesville, you've only had two coaches to win their first SEC championship after year three. That was uh, Phil Fulmer and Tommy Turberville. Everybody else who's won it, won it in the first three years. And so I really think it's important from a statistical standpoint, from a historical standpoint, that we don't add another layer of history that Mullen has to defy on his way to the top. You've got a generational quarterback that you found, not you, but I mean, this guy emerged from a high school bench. This is real history we're seeing in college football. And I know this team isn't perfect, but it's time to make history. Mullen needs to strike while the iron is hot here and win the title. And so, no, I don't think anything's going to happen between now and then uh, to grant them. What happens beyond that, I don't know. But can you imagine if they come out of this year and Trask is gone and you go into what looks like a little bit of a rebuild uh, in year four without Trask? And then you have to ask yourself this question, do you want to rearm with a new defensive coordinator? And that – I just don't love the timing of it. Not to say that it can't get done. Not to say that Mullen's going to be on the hot seat next year. I don't think that at all. Um, I'm just saying I, I really want to see it happen this year, and I don't think Grantham gets let go before then. Well, shout you're an odds to- guy, and we're just talking about beating the odds. So, hey, that makes shout sense. out to Manny Diaz, the only person that uh, Dan Mullen has fired. <laughs> go Canes! He didn't <laughs> fire him. He left. He fired. He fired Manny Diaz. No, he didn't. I don't think he did. I can't remember. He did not. Diaz left him twice. Huh. I totally He, he left Mississippi State uh, to be the defense coordinator at Miami in 2016. And before um, that, Texas. Huh. Oh, it was Texas that fired him. Sorry. I thought, mm-hmm. I thought Mullen fired him. You can and then he went to La Tech and then to Mississippi State. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Uh, as, you know, as you're already very well aware of, Bill, we do something here on the podcast called The Verdict, where we get everybody's insight as to how they think the game will play out. Um, if, I, if I could give this segment another title, uh, we, could, we could call it the, uh, the Forecast Forecast, because this is the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast, and we're kind of forecasting the game. Um, but we're going to start out with kind of going through keys. So I know you already – broke down the game quite a bit, but if you can narrow down, Bill, your keys to the game, maybe you could give us a, a single key on offense and a key on defense or even special teams. Um, we'd love to hear that. So go and give us some keys to the game. I think if, uh, if the Gators can hold Gene DeLance to one sack this week, uh, that will help the offense quite a bit. That'd be my key on offense. Old blooded. Uh, <laughs> oh. They got a whole kind of one sack, man. Um, I need Pepto Bismol now. <laughs> wow. uh, on defense, I, I just want to see them line up and play. I just, you know, I, I honestly I haven't watched a whole lot of film to see how they would exploit, but I, I don't like it when teams start hammering over the middle against Florida. Um, just on defense, just continue to uh, continue to make incremental improvement. Uh, I don't think we've seen enough. 
um, set the daggum edge, you know, and don't, don't let, don't allow big plays. Don't give Kentucky hope. Um, but that's, you know, I just, I think they're going to give up a lot of yards. I think they're going to give up some stupid plays. Um, but as long as Drask is in there zinging it, and as long as he's not on his back, it should be fine. So my key for offense for Florida is very simple. And it's the, it's the thing we say on this show every week as a cop-out and we try to stay away from, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use it now. Turnovers. Just don't turn the ball over, and you're going to win the game. I mean, it's very, very simple. Because Kentucky, as Bill knows all too well, does not have the talent on defense to match up X's and O's wise with Florida. Their cornerbacks do not have the size or the speed or the skill set to cover a Kyle Pitts or a Trayvon Grimes, or even a Jacob Copeland or Xavier Henderson or Justin Shorter. So don't turn the ball over and kill drives yourself. Make them make the plays to end the drive on their own. Don't, don't give it to them. Defensively, attack the right hip on the tackle, set the edge, basic fundamental stuff, right gap. Line up correctly. Don't be looking at the sideline when the ball snap. Just the basic fundamental things that we, frankly, didn't see them do very well against Vanderbilt. So basic fundamental football, you're going to give some yards up. Terry Wilson's a mobile quarterback, even if he doesn't have the receivers that he had two years ago when he pulled that upset. But just do your jobs. Trust that your other 10 teammates are going to do what they're supposed to do. Do what you're supposed to do. This is a four-touchdown win. Casey, how about you? So I think the defenses do a big game. Um, and I think this is the perfect time to do that. Uh, you, this is a good home tune-up before we go up to Hillbilly Land up in Rocky Top. Uh, so like Bill said, don't get beat up the middle. Stop the run. Uh, I think Kentucky's got a good run game. They don't have the receivers to make it happen. Um but keep Terry Wilson from running because that's what beat us last time we were here. Terry Wilson's legs. He ran a lot that night. So keep Terry Wilson controlled. Uh, and I think the defenses do a big game. Uh, I think we get two sacks uh, on, on Terry Wilson this week, at least. Uh, offensive key, I think this week is getting the running game, continuing getting the running game going. Uh, we started to get that going last week with Damian Pierce and Malik Davis catching balls in the backfield. But I think really making the running game that the teams have to respect. Uh, obviously, Kyle Pitts is going to be back this week. Uh, and our receivers are obviously elite um, SEC talents. But I think we really need to get that running game going. Get Pierce going. Get Davis going. And I'd like to see more of Naquan Wright um, getting, getting going as well. So my offensive key is making every catch. What we saw against Vanderbilt was a couple uh, key receivers that were pretty uh, sure, sure-handed to start out the season, uh, made some uncharacteristic drops. Uh, one noteworthy drop was uh, the drop that Grimes had before he later made up for it by, by making the touchdown catch. But even still, that had to go to Booth Review before it was uh, – deemed a touchdown that stood um a touchdown that wasn't confirmed uh and i digress um so i think it's important that every every throw that kyle trask makes the receivers catch it it's a catchable ball you got to catch it there's no excuse at this level of play 
And as far as defense, it's literally the thing I say every week. But the Gators didn't really do it last week. So I got to say it again. The key is going to be remaining in position. So many times players try to be the hero. But when you try to be the hero and you mess up, you severely impact the rest of the team. You got to be in position. You got you to keep your eyes in the right place. You have to um, keep proper leverage. You have to do what you're coached to do. I believe that if the Gators do what they're coached to do on defense, they'll make the plays they need to make. Kentucky does uh, – they, they've shown signs to be able to run the ball, and I think it's going to be very important that the Gators hold them on, on third down, especially when they, when they try to run the ball or do whatever they do. So I would say that's my keys to the game. So let's go ahead and move on to our score predictions. I know, again, as we said before, this is the forecasting part of the In All Counts of Weather forecast. And so without further ado, I'm going to start, and then we'll go around and we'll save the best for last. I'm going to go ahead and pick the Gators to win 45-20, to 20, and I think the Gators are going to um, they're going to improve on, on, uh, on offense. But, again, it remains to be seen if the defense can rise to the occasion. And I'm – I have a sneaky suspicion that Kentucky's going to do pretty well running the ball against the Gators. So that's why I'm giving them 20 points. Uh, I think Florida will get two touchdowns early. Um, I think the first one comes from um, Kyle to Kyle. Um, and I just think we roll from there. Florida 41, Kentucky 17. So – I think this game is going to be more or less a replay of last week against Vandy. Kentucky is more talented than Vandy, but I also think we'll be a little bit more ready to go. So I think those two things will kind of offset and we'll get a similar start sort of game. I think we'll start slow. Maybe we'll trail early, but then we'll wake up and run away with it in the second half. I just don't think Kentucky's defense has an answer for the athleticism of Kyle Pitts or Trayvon Grimes or the super accuracy of Kyle Trask and, I think Florida will use that to sort of bully the cats down the stretch. So I'll go Florida 41, Kentucky 21. 41, 24, Trask rolls. We have a few points of frustration. We all get to debate as fans on the message boards going into next week, but it's still a win. All right, guys, that's about all we've got on today's episode for the In All Kinds of Weather forecast. And as always, if you've enjoyed our show, please subscribe on iTunes or Spotify and give us a five-star rating and a nice review on iTunes. We're still just a few months old and we'd really appreciate that as we keep growing. Special thanks to Bill Sykes for joining us today. We certainly appreciated having him on the show today and we've missed his presence on Twitter, but hopefully today's episode serves as proof that he's doing just fine and he's Better than ever when it comes to breaking down and, and analyzing the, the game and the team that we love. Again, Bill, we appreciate your time, and we hope that you have a happy Thanksgiving. And we want to extend that to everybody listening right now. We just want to wish you a very happy, a very safe, and a very wonderful Thanksgiving. Bill, thank you so much for coming on. We really, really appreciate your time. Um, so we know you're not on Twitter anymore, but where can people find you? And uh, just a reminder as to how people can read more about what you're doing and, and donate to the, to the charity you're working for and all that. 
Yeah, the main place is to look for my articles on readandreaction.com. If you Google search readandreaction.com, then space, Bill Sykes, my work will all come up. And at the end of these six uh, articles, which I've entitled The All-SEC Project, you'll see the link to the charity I'm giving for, or giving the money to and asking other people to give with me. And again, uh, you can Google search um, for Gators Helping Young Mothers GoFundMe or GoFundMe Gators Helping Young Mothers. It'll come up. You'll see it. And uh, that's, that's what I would ask you to do. If, uh, if somebody does need to get a hold of me, they can contact you guys. And, uh, and there's people out there that, that know where to find me. <laughs> well, we thank you, Bill, for your time. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thanks for oh, t- no they, problem, uh, guys. Thank you for having me. Thanks for t- putting a toe back in the water uh, for, for the Gators. It's my pleasure, guys. Thank you. Hey, hey, thank you, Bill. Again, you're a great friend. You're somebody who inspired me to get into this trade. And uh, I love how it comes full circle. I never thought that I'd be inviting you to come on to uh, a podcast I host. So, yeah, I'm glad a- I could help, buddy. And it's always good to, good to talk to. So I'm sure we, we'll be catching up soon, too. Yeah, man. Enjoy We'd your love Thanksgiving. We'd to have you back for a recruiting-centric pod one day. Okay. We'll see what we can do. Sounds good. Take care. Right. Thank you, Bye. sir. Happy Thanksgiving. You too.